Here we go. Time once again for Ira on Sports. True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Great show on tap for you. Merry Christmas to everyone out there and their loved ones. And Ira, we're taping the show a little bit early today because of Christmas. Yes, we're going to just tape it just a little bit early. But boy, we had so much to, to this whole week. A lot happened. Yes, yeah, so we're going to miss, obviously, the, the games today. But we'll recap everything that happened in a busy week of football. It's, it's kind of nice having all these days of football. Some people get mad about the extra games, a Thursday game and stuff like this. Doesn't bother me at all. I'll take football every night of the week if we can get it. You've been very busy. What are you up to? Well, I went, I just saw on Wednesday and Thursday, I saw two basketball games that Mike, where Mike is a little good friend of the show. I went down to Barry University, his someplace for St. Vincent. So I got to watch two of those basketball games. Friday, I flew up to Pittsburgh and saw Mike coach Robert Morris against Cornell. And then Saturday, I saw the Steeler Bengal game. And then, which of course ended like at 7 30, 8 o'clock at night. Yeah. And then I was back down here in Miami for the Dolphin game against the Cowboys. And so it was just super exciting to be at the Steeler-Bengal game with the excitement of that game, which when I we'll talk about the atmosphere, it did not, it was like one of those games where there was, you did not get the sense there was any excitement, but as the game grew on, that's when the fans got totally into it. Of course, it was a huge win for the Steelers. And then to come down here for, I think, since I've been here, the biggest regular season game in, in Miami, uh, certainly in Mike McDaniel to air, uh, just the fact that have the Cowboys and Dolphins, that the atmosphere, I mean, I was in the parking lot at 1, 12, 30, packed. Totally packed. Yeah. The, it was everyone out there, the excitement. And to see Dolphin fans in the stadium when this game starts, not an empty seat, everyone packed in there. It was the most expensive Dolphin game I've could even the prices imagine. Were insane. It, imagine, and that's what. So it was pretty cool to, to have those two games back. I love going to two NFL games back to back: the Steeler Bengal game and then the Dolphin game. Yeah, absolutely, uh, fantastic weekend we've had so far. Ira on sports here, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So Ira, before we get into football and all that, we always, you know, we live in the golf capital of the world, so. You always hear friends say, oh, I saw Rory McIlroy at Publix. Oh, Ricky Valor is getting sushi next to me. It finally happened to me after living here for 15 years. I'm walking through Costco yesterday, and Dustin Johnson is walking right at me. And nobody seems to know who he is. I mean, I'm looking around quickly because at first I didn't believe it was him. And I'm looking around at the people, and all of them look like they have no idea what professional golf is. <laughs> so it made sense to me that nobody was, like, wanting an autograph. So I make eye contact with him. I'm wearing a golf hat. And... I, I kind of, my jaw must have dropped, like, holy cow, Justin Johnson's here. And he just gives me a look like, please don't bother me. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> it's basically, I know you know who I am. Nobody's bothered me yet. Please don't make this weird. And I, I obliged. I didn't say anything. I just kept going. But kind of interesting. You never know who you're going to see in South Florida. Totally a lot. I, you know, I'm wondering why Dustin Johnson was in Costco considering he signed the $100 million uh, live deal. But still, that was uh, – you see them – I mean, you see uh, so many of the golfers around in terms of – I've, I've had sightings everywhere because this is, of course, the golf capital of the world. Yeah, no, it's uh, crazy stuff. You never know who you're going to see. You're in Miami all the time, and you run into celebrities and stuff like that. But let's uh, let's talk about this Miami game. You mentioned that, you know, the biggest game at Dolphin Stadium, you know, since, since you've been following the Dolphins – it kind of was because this is this has all the implications on the line of getting the number one overall seed, you know, and we're going to see San Francisco play the Ravens at some point today. They lose and then the Dolphins are you know up at the top of the, the leaderboard and it's kind of their division to control or their conference to control. And then you have Dallas who reeling just a little bit and they they have this stigma. They can't play on the road. They can't play. They can't beat good teams. And you brought up something interesting, too. They're only going to play here every eight years. You know, you play the different uh, division every four years, and one of them is going to be home, one away. So there's Cowboy fans that have been living here for a decade that haven't seen their team play here yet. So it kind of just all came together. I just think the Cowboys are a different team. Um, people might say, oh, it's too much, and Skip Bayless, all this. The Dallas Cowboys have a have an aura around them. I mean, they are just the whole idea of America's team, about Jerry Jones, just the background of, of Roger Staubach and Troy Aikman. There's something about the Cowboys and the Cowboy fans. And when they play the Steelers, it's a big thing. And, and again, it's a, it's not like the Patriots that you'll know. They're here every year. The Jets will come every year. It's just different. It's different. It's different to see Jerry Jones on the field. It's different to see the star. It's different to see the fans. That's why, you know, the Cowboys and Dolphins, I looked at their, the bat. They've only played 16 times in all their years. Mm -hmm. 16 times. So that's, and this is one of the 16th time. And the first one was in 1972, Super Bowl VI. Dallas won 24-3. And that's the game where Shula came back and said, 
we're going to make changes. We're going to we're never having this again. And then he wins. He goes undefeated and then mm. has, wins the next year. Uh, the last time Miami won in Miami against him, this is what's so amazing about it. It was in 28-20 was in, in 1984, the Orange Bowl. Marino beat Danny White. And then everybody remembers the 1993 game. That was when Miami won in Dallas 16-14 on the Leon Lett mm. when they blocked a field goal at the end of the game. The Dolphins had to win the game. But Leon Lett, when it was always Snowfield, went and tripped and fell on the ball mm. because of the rules were a game the Dolphins another chance to kick it. Everyone said it was the dumbest play of all time, and Leon Led had another <laughs> one in the Super Bowl, and they ended up winning that game. And then the last time Miami won the game, how about this? The Miami has not beat Dallas since 2003. They won in Dallas, Jay Fielder versus Quincy Carter, and then in 2007, Romo versus Trent Green, and then 2011, Romo versus Matt Moore, and uh, the la- 2000, last 2015, the last time the game was in Miami, Dallas won 24-14, Romo versus Ryan Tannehill. And they haven't played in for in four years in 2019 the last time they played Josh Rosen versus Dak so it's like it's one of those things where you just you know it is it is such to me just to see the Cowboys and Dolphins these iconic franchises I mean I put the Steelers up with, with there and the Packers those that those levels I just think that's what's so cool about this game and the fans and and just that atmosphere made it uh, tremendous to me about everything that was all all for you know the fact that you had Marino against you know there was times Marino played and and Aikman and those type of things so that's what made it so cool. So obviously the, the Dolphins get uh, get the win here, big one, field goal, uh, field goal to end the game to give them the lead. They were trailing twenty to nineteen, but you kind of some stuff that Mike McDaniel did kind of stood out to you. Well, I listened to the press conference afterwards, and I liked a couple things that he said. I listened to the whole press conference on the ride back, and he is, it was one of the greatest press conferences I've ever seen someone give. Because they ask him first, they go, what did you learn about the Tennessee game? And he goes, from our team or from me? He goes, from you. That was a good question. The guy I like how the guy followed up was from you. He said, I learned that I don't have to call the perfect play. He goes, I thought too much about calling the perfect play at the end of the game when I should have just let the team win. And I and I didn't trust my team enough to win, and I think I was too I think focused on calling the first play. So that was interesting that he actually admitted that faults on himself. And then he said they talked about social media coming to this game, and he goes. The chain game of the NFL has changed. It, it used to be that you could say, ignore the media, ignore the papers, papers don't have to read, them, don't listen to the TV radio, but these players are so attached to social media. You cannot tell them not to listen to social media. They are on social media constantly for their brands, for everything. But you have to channel that. And he goes, so much of the social media this year was, with this week was negative. It's like Jason Sanders cannot kick, uh, uh, Sanders can't kick uh, field goals. He's not, can't long field goals. And that they're going to blow leads. And that two is not a big game performer. And all these other things that criticize this team and he goes I had to say channel that into be this negative into a positive now of course it's a hard it's a lot easier when they're giving negatives and you can use that as a positive instead of just giving positives but he said I had to learn how to channel the social media I thought that was interesting at that perspective and he also said the importance of this game was he goes we really talked about doing your job just not saying your role per se but do your job and I just felt like you know I'm saying wow I totally agree because if you looked at this game the small plays that Elijah Campbell downing a punt on like the one yard line that set up another key field goal that was a key and the punter you know Bailey kicking a great punt on that case the fact when they were on the about to score and Deshaun Elliott made that amazing tackle on Pollard right at the goal line the next play the Cowboys fumble the offensive line blocking at the end of the game Wilson coming in for that one run that he had where he got that first down the catches Smythe the tight end making me plays it seems like yes everybody did their job when everybody does their job you win the game I was impressed with that he also did compliment Stephen Ross tremendously not one of those like yeah, he's my boss and I appreciate him that he goes look nobody was going to give me a chance nobody thought it believed in me he went on the first interview he believed in me and he stood by me the whole time and we have when we have bad games he is the first person to call me he He's the first person to check if I'm okay. He goes, he's had success throughout his entire career and everything. And he's admitted to me, he goes, this is the only thing I've ever done that I have not been successful is. And I'm trusting everything. And I feel so much responsibility to give him success. So I really like this. <laughs> Press conference went on forever. And it was really good. And I just thought that was that was great. And this was a big, I, as much as you want to say, to me, this was a humongous win for the Dolphins. This really is... It's it was tremendous to win a game at this magnitude. It's not like they won the Jets last week. Who cares? The Jets made the Jets. <laughs> but this to me, uh, over uh, the considering the magnitude game, I think gave, gives the team so much confidence going forward. And it and they have to keep building him. Mean, he said in also the press conference, he goes, he goes, well, does Tua? How does this help Tua? He goes, well, Tua has to come into work tomorrow. He's gonna. He goes, Tua takes every day is to get better. He can't just look back. What it means a game like this says the things that you're doing to be great, the things that you're doing every single day to be great. 
paid off. So keep doing them. Mm -hmm. Not that you've worked hard and you got to a level. It's like what you're doing to be great is working. So keep doing those things and keep working hard to keep getting better. And that's what they're trying to push. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Merry Christmas. Uh, let's um, talk about the atmosphere here because I don't know if the Cowboys fans are quite on the level of like Philadelphia Eagles fans for how crazy they can get. But I imagine that you know being surrounded by a bunch of, of Cowboys fans was kind of a little raucous as far as the atmosphere would go. It was like a bowl game atmosphere, but a little bit different than college bowl games because you had the fans all mixed in. Like there was, I was on the Cowboy quote side, but there were Cowboy fans everywhere. And I like, what I like about the Cowboys, if you're a Cowboy fan and you're going to one game in eight years, you're dressing like head to toe. Yeah. Like <laughs> cat, like you go to the, you go to something like a Duffy's around the town or Twin Peaks and there's like tables for the Cowboy games and those, they come dressed like this, but they were all dressed up. They were all, and they're great though, because as a Steeler fan, I've been to Dallas for games. I don't never consider Dallas fans. They are friendly, nice. They're just, they enjoy it. Like, I thought it was the atmosphere. I, I saw there was one little fight at the end of the game, and that was really nice. It was between Dolphin fans. But, I mean, but I think it was... It wouldn't just, surprise me. It was just, but it was, I just thought that was cool. And it was, the field, remember, it was weird. It was not supposed to rain. It rained. It was raining before the game. It was more of those showers. It just showers, you know it's going to stop. But I'm, you're undercover. Most of that stadium is undercover, so I didn't get wet at all from the, from mm -hmm. watching that game. So I thought that was really weird. Um, but I saw, you know, I really think that it was weird that the first quarter, the fans were standing, screaming, everything when it started. Now, second, third, they were quiet. Fourth, they got back as it did. And I like, I actually like in games like this when people are standing, like the Ohio State-Michigan game, because then, you know, I don't like to stand, sit, stand, sit, and then people get in front and you miss the plays. I'd rather just be standing. Let's make all determination. Are we going to all stand or are we going to sit? Because that's what I like to keep it at. So I just like, but I just felt that, that that atmosphere and the tailgating and the partying and the fact that people were in the game early and you know and and that, i think that's what made the, the whole what it made it so special for me so you like to get to these games early you know once they let you in that you can you said you were kind of surprised that the place was packed, packed. and ready to go once the game started it was i was unbelievably packed i've never i mean this you everyone knows about the heat you turn a heat game on at 12 you know even in a playoff game and you can you're like where are the fans there's yeah. nobody there like are we is the game you're there and it's like are we having a game is it like an hour later is it daylight savings time and dolphin fans are the same thing but wow, it was packed in there. And I got down and I missed the individual where they're out there in their shorts and their t-shirts. But I got in there for when the team was there and going out because I sat in the Lexus club on the side. So I was behind the Dallas bench, 32 rows up. But I went down close right to where the Cowboys were practicing. And it was so cool to watch Dak warm up because he does something that Michigan does when he runs his plays. Like a lot of quarterbacks just stand there and they throw it. He actually does rollouts. They do all rollouts left and right because that's how he plays. And, and I noticed that he does all the rollouts. But he went to every single player after he does, the quarterbacks come out with the wide receivers, they throw. And then the rest of the team comes out later in stages. As the rest of the team was coming out, he made sure to give them, he went like low on his knee and was giving them like low fives coming in. Every single, I've never seen this, mm -hmm. every single player who came out he talked to, he gave a hand, you know, slap or whatever to hand slap to every single player. You could just see the sense. He is the leader of this team. I, I was really impressed, like, with Dak. Like, if the Cowboys say, oh, they have to get rid of if they don't want him, Steelers will take him. Like, I'm yeah, telling you, sure. he is a he is so, and he's big, and he's strong, and you could see during the game how he just shakes out, attack, you know, people trying to tackle him, and he shakes it, he's able to move. I think he's smart. He's everything about him. I'm a big fan, and just doing those warm-ups to see how the team gravitated around. He is a leader in every sense. The same stuff that I see with Brady. The same stuff with Brady when I was watching Tampa. That's what he has. They're not getting rid of Dak Prescott. Anyone who thinks they're getting rid of Dak, they're crazy. They're absolutely crazy. Dak Prescott is staying there just as much as Aaron Rodgers with the Jets next year and whatever, how long he wants. That's what it is. Dak Prescott is their quarterback. They're not getting, they're going to give him whatever he wants. He is their quarterback. And I liked that warm-up and watching all that warm-up's going through. So I thought that was cool. Also, it's cool to see uh, Stephen Ross and Jerry Jones meet. And you always like to see the, the billionaires yeah. meet right at the field that was pretty exciting and uh, uh i just you know it was it was cool to see ex especially but tua you know in warm-ups tua throws some balls but nobody used to throw more than tom brady did when he was with the patriots he would throw so many balls but i like each team they had different words like Tua is not doing rollouts when he's throwing he's in the pocket just throwing at that whereas dak did those rollouts so i thought that was pretty cool just to be there and just to see how these teams college football spends a lot more time in the warm-ups i was at the championship game they're out there hours all running around all doing drills all doing stuff but pros don't do so much but just that sh those little minutes to see cd lamb everything how they work but i the sense from just watching dak is just he is this team he is the leader unquestioned and they all offense defense special teams it's he's the he's the guy who runs this team yeah it's 
the, the reason he gets a bad rap isn't even for his performance. It's because he's the Cowboys quarterback. If Dak was the, the quarterback of the Vikings, nobody would t- he'd be great. He'd be, everyone would be like, wow, this guy Dak Prescott's really good. It's the fact that he plays for America's team, quote, that means a lot of people hate America's team, and uh, in turn, they hate the quarterback. And you'd be surprised. I, I look, i got to look at what, it, what they list his size and weight, and I think he's 230, 235 or whatever. Whatever they list him, he's big. He's like big. He's Big Ben. Like, he is that type of size out there. And when you see him on the field, it's just it, – he and he moves, and he's not – you can saw some of the runs he had. He had some excellent runs in the game. But the more – when I look at a quarterback, I'm like, is a quarterback able to shake a, a shake a defensive lineman coming in and still make a pass? He can do that, and that's what that's why he's – He's so impressive. That, that's what Ben did. That's what Ben was able to do. That's what Peyton Manning was able to do. That was what Brady was able to do. And Eli, especially, those big quarterbacks that can, when they come in there and make this play. So I was, it was just cool. It was one of the first times I got there super early to watch Dak and warmups, and I thought that was cool. Well, let's talk about the game itself. And this was one kind of hard to predict because you have Dolphins with the, you know, the most high-flying offense in the league and the Cowboys who really score a lot of points as well. I was anticipating fireworks, and it kind of wasn't that. It was more of a chess match than just going up and down the field. Totally a chess match the entire game. And I thought it was interesting. We're going to go through the the play-by-play. But when I love the game that it got onto like the 6 and 9. So after the cow, the, the Dolphins were unable to get a first down, and they went on fourth down, and then someone texted me, uh, fire McDaniel, you know, for <laughs> going for it. But then whenever it was become, when they got a 9-point lead, and the Cowboys then felt like they had to kick the field goal to make it a 6-point lead, and then, the, then the, the Dolphins went and said, we're going to make it, instead of going for it on fourth down. Let's make it nine. I thought that was the chess match and how the time of possession worked and the small little plays worked. I mean, the key in the first quarter was the Dolphins. I mean, we never really see this. The Cowboys won the toss and instead of deciding to defer, they said, we want the ball. Mm-hmm. They took the ball first. They went on a 15 play, 73 yard drive, uh, 700. It was like almost eight minutes long. Four, they went on fourth and they went on fourth and two on the 31. And Jake Ferguson, the tight end, what a great game he played. Mm-hmm. He's phenomenal. He's like Jay Novacek in terms of the, <laughs> they went on fourth down. Just an amazing play. And then they ran. Brandon Cooks ran an end around for nine yards, got to the two. And Jalen Ramsey made a good play. I was right there watching that. I'm like, he's going to score on that and Ramsey went and knocked him out but I'm telling you Cooks almost scored on that play and that would have been 7-0 the next time Pollard runs and Deshaun Elliott you know maybe made the play of the game Elliott runs his whole body is in the end zone, except for the ball. And Elliott pushed him back. That was just an amazing defensive play. And we talked about this sort of before. Uh, they, Ezekiel Elliott was on their team. You know, they got rid of Ezekiel Elliott. And I think if Zeke was on that team, he scores a touchdown there over Pollard. I'm not saying he's better than Pollard, but I think in these type of big games, I think you have Pollard has got to score right there, and, and he just didn't do it. And then they go the next thing, they they, they fumble the snap. It's like, you know, say, oh, who cares? The second and goal on the one, and they fumble the snap. And what if Brandon Jones gets the recovery? Huge turn of events in terms of, I mean, that was the game, really. I mean, yeah. in terms of that fumble at that moment, so. Uh, so what happened next year? Like I said, the, there wasn't as much high flying. I was anticipating Tyreek Hill, you know, trying to take the top off the game, you know, went, while they had the ball. I was anticipating forcing the ball to CeeDee Lamb. We didn't see much of that. Well, the next time, the Dolphins get the ball. They go 10 plays, 59 yards. The first time they went, you know, Tyreek Hill had the most, the most the longest catch he had was for 20 yards. Mm-hmm. The whole game, which is crazy for Tyreek But they did, on that first play, try this bomb that he dropped. And mm-hmm. it was, he, he, had, he was open and he dropped the ball. But then on third and nine, they go for a bomb to walk over Gilmore, who was like hit two steps, he caught it for 50 yards. So that was, you know, that was in terms of that was that there, and they were driving down. But then on a 36, they were on the 36 yard line, most aren't lost. It seems like whatever that both teams got within like the 20 to the 40 in that range, they couldn't get their offense going. They moved the ball. So it was like a third and 13, Waddle incomplete. So Saunders hit the, uh, Sanders hit the 57-yard field goal to make it 3 nothing. Yeah, and that's what, uh, that's what they needed was to get on the board first, establish themselves a little bit. But uh, we would end up seeing um, Dallas uh, score before the quarter's out. Yeah, that pass. And then you're watching. Like I always like with my videos, like saying, okay, wait till they're getting close. And you're, and you're, you're seeing this game, this chess match that we talked about. But the pass that he threw to... You know, he threw it to Lamb for 22 yards, Dak did. And then Pollard a short run. So then on the third play, he just threw it. This reminds me of the Steeler game to Pickens in terms of they just threw it to Lamb across the middle. And you're like, boy, no one's catching C.D. Lamb. You saw the speed that C.D. Lamb had in terms of he caught it and just outran. And Miami has fast defenders. And he just outran. We were used to seeing Mostard and that chain and Hill and all that. But what speed he had to just run there for that touchdown to make it 7-3. That was pretty pretty amazing in terms of that run. Yeah, for sure. And then yeah, C.D. Lamb, when you want him, 
He's not only fast, he's elusive, too. Like, he, the way he can kind of get around cornerbacks and find ways to, to, you know, they call it getting separation, he can sometimes just, it looks like the, the ball might be going out of bounds or, you know, it's just not the right throw, but CeeDee Lamb manages to catch up to it, and then he's open and, and ready to go. He's that, impressive to watch. That was, again, in person. I, when I watch him on TV, it's sometimes hard not to see. You see that you're exactly correct. First of all, the speed is off the charts, and also his elusiveness and how he was able to score on that, just super impressive. And then that then Miami goes Next time they go down, they got a third on one of Dallas 29. Mostart ran for 15 yards. They had first and goal on the three. Mostart got no gain. Mostart loses two yards. It was third and five to Waddle was incomplete. So now it's fourth and five on the five. Now, I agree with everyone who said, why did they go for it? Like, it seemed like they were struggling and they were difficulty. Like, why go for it on that play? Like, I would have kicked the field goal there. Now, again, that was the only time. But I do think that was it. That's where someone texted me, fire McDaniel. Like, why go for it <laughs> on fourth and five when it seemed like you were having trouble at the goal line scoring and they threw a bad pass to Wilson. But that was, and then you're like, you're as a Dolphin fan, you know, getting nervous. Like, oh my gosh, we just had our chance. So it was almost a trade-off to me. Dallas went down and fumbled at the one-yard line. Dolphins go down there. They are not able to score on the five-yard line for that. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I hate the going for it with anything more than like a yard, but the, the league's obviously changed. So where do we go from here? But this was the only good thing on this perspective is that it left the the Dallas with bad field position. They had really bad field position, and it seemed like the whole game like they sometimes had these bad starts. And they started it was like on the five, it was third and eleven. Wilkins got roughing the passer, so they sort of got out of there. But then Van Ginkle, you know, on, on that roughing the passer, which was a questionable whether it was that roughing passer. Then Van Ginkle on the play where the roughing the passer, Christian Wilkins. I saw him on the ground. I thought he was going to get thrown out of the game for yelling at the refs. He was so mad at the call for roughing that I'm like, settle down. Like, you could see the other Dolphins almost tackling him. Mm -hmm. Like, do not get thrown out of this game for going after the ref. And then Van Ginkle had this huge sack, and Dak had two incompletions, and they, they were forced to punt. Miami gets the ball back, and uh, they passed the hill for 20 yards. They went to second four, and the chain lost a yard. But then they were able to kick another. It was a 53-yard field goal to make it 7-6. So there's the point where after on the third down, they decided just to kick that field goal. But by, by the fact that they got good field position. It seemed like on a number of uh, times the Dolphins got the ball, they're like, let's get that 20-yard play, the 15-yard play, do something to get in field goal position, at least get that field goal to make it 7-6. And then Dallas got the ball back with 434 left. They're up 7-6. Now remember, they took the ball first. I'm thinking, this is where they're going to drive down, take a lead. Could they go up 14-6? Could they go 10-6 and finish that finish finish the half off? But they really went a false start, made a first and 15. On third down, Dak got sacked, a huge sack. So it's 234, they have to punt the ball. That was a disaster for them mm -hmm. because they really didn't run the clock. Again, this is what we're talking about chess matches. That's where they messed up. They did not run the clock out enough. That gave the Dolphins a chance to get the ball back. And what do they do? Perfectly drive. You know, again, the Dolphins at the end of the first half, at the end of the second half, two perfect drives, three passes to tight end. Smythe, uh, Tool was just doing everything great. And, uh, you know, they, it was just, it was, it was, it, and you know, one thing when I noticed with the Miami when they run their whatever, the uh, no-huddle offense. Tyreek Hill, when he has to run back, he runs back fast. Like, not only are you fast running one way to get the ball, you actually can get back to the line because that's some of the problems when you're trying to run these two-minute drills. Mm -hmm. The wide receivers come out, and if it's not a stoppage in play, they have to come back, and they get back fast. So, And then there was a roughing the passer call on Parsons, which he was extremely, today he criticized the refs, so probably get fined for that. And uh, Mostar was out of the game with an injury earlier when they went on that fourth down play, but he, come, he came back for this play, and then he caught the touchdown, and then it made it, so that made to 13 uh, to seven at halftime, and that was key. I mean, at the end of the game, just to get at, to get that 13 to seven lead going to the halftime. Uh, you know, the Dolphins had 231 yards, 162 yards, and uh, they had the Finns had 13 first downs in that first half. So I think if you're Miami, you're ecstatic. Like like this game, it seemed like you know you it's made some mistakes, but you go up 13-7. They get that touchdown at the end to make it 13-7. That was key. No, and that's what I was looking for in this game. You know, I, I wanted to have a game like this at the half. I didn't want it either way to be 21 to 7, something like that, where, because once either of these teams, once they get a big lead, it's kind of all downhill exactly. from there. They just steamroll from there. You can't let them get They're two scores runners. up on you. Yeah. Both teams are frontrunners. Both teams are total frontrunners. So you got to see them not being frontrunners. Exactly. <laughs> we got what we wanted. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the Finns had four drives, one touchdown, two field goals, and a failed fourth down conversion. No punting that whole thing. But I think you're exactly right, is that you did not want a situation where where it seems like each one, where one of them was going to be up by so many points, like the Jets-Dolphins game. It's over. Mm -hmm. That type of thing. Or the Cowboys, which the Cowboys are winning all these teams. So it's actually made these teams think and work and do all those other things. So yeah, rather than just run the ball and, you know, kill the, kill the rest of the game. So like you said, 13-7 uh, heading into the second half. Yeah, so then in the second half, Miami... 
But they got they they messed up again on that first. It was the first punt of the game. They they punted, but they were able to get a really good punt. You know, they it was like a sixty yard punt where they were they were pinned down into their into their behind their goal line, and uh, it was a whole miscommunication. But that's where Bailey had a sixty yard punt. Elijah Campbell downed it on the two yard line. Now that set Dallas up with a mess because Pollard went for no gain. Prescott was under duress, so they had to punt for their own one yard line. But that was so. I guess that was you know as much as they screwed up on that. The fact that the punter made a great punt and the fact that they were able to down the ball in the two almost made it a wasted I mean you're in a game where you only got eight or nine possessions to have a wasted possession like you can't afford to have a wasted possession Miami gets the ball back and it's like the first that you know we're not a long drive they got one first down pass to Hill uh, then on third and one on the 34 a chain lost two yards and they kicked a 54 yard field goal so now they go up 16-7 and this is where the whole I call it blackjack which is like you're now at 16 they weren't not going to go for it on fourth down and like it was like fourth and three like they weren't going to go for it because you can go up now nine points you can't score nine and one but you know it's impossible mm-hmm. so they go and make it 16-7 and I thought that was key then Dallas you know still playing blackjack they drove down third 11 on the 25 Dax Grimm with 14 yards that was a great play. Those re- those refs, they it seemed like ten minutes to decide what happened, and nobody knew what happened. Like, was it a holding? Was it defense? And they called a legal shift. So then it wiped out that entire first down play, and it was third and sixteen. They weren't able to get anything, and they kicked a field goal to make it sixteen ten. And then Miami then had this nine play, fifty eight yard drive to end the quarter. It was eighteen yards to Hill, twenty yards to Smythe, um, and then they threw another one to Hill. And then on first and ten, they had it like it was on a twenty yard line. Everything was going great. But uh, they were able to go, and then just on fourth and seven, they took another field goal to make it 19-10. So again, they they got stuck on the 20, you know, first and you know 10 on the 20-yard line, and then they kicked the field goal to make it 19-10, just keeping that nine-point lead. So just to keep that game going like that. Yeah, no, impressive stuff as it rolled on. Now it's getting down to the nitty-gritty, and I don't want to say controversy, but going forward, there was a couple of plays that Dallas Cowboy fans are not exactly agreeing on, should have been a call, shouldn't have been a call, but to have this game end up wrapping up. Yeah, I mean, so Dallas went on their drive, so they drove down, Ferguson ran, Dak had a 22-yard run, just like on the Dolphins, they're at first and 10 on the 22, Paul runs for one yard, Prescott is incomplete, so then it's fourth and three on the 15. So it's 19-10. Now, this is where the Cowboy fans get mad. Mm-hmm. They're like, we, they wanted to go for it on that one. Like, like, stop with the field goal, stop whatever. They went with their field goal there to make it 19-13. And they thought, which would end to be the sort of the right decision. Yeah. But they went 19-13, as I said, to work there. And then Miami goes back, and uh, they went three and out. Like, this was the crazy thing. And I'm thinking, this is awful. I mean, here's the, here's the game. There's, you know, 12-31 when they got the ball. When they came in the game, they just went, you know, they only took burned a couple of minutes of action. But it, actually how the timing worked, the, the fact that the Cowboys were able to score and give the Dolphins a chance, maybe the fact that this was a situation where they didn't have a long drive, they had to punt so quickly that, uh, uh, that and, and Tua got sacked on this play, total breakdown was terrible. The fact that they were able to punt it back, then Dallas gets the ball. So Dallas gets the ball with 7.39 left, they're down six. So this is the drive that's gonna make Dak, we're gonna talk about Dak being great, Dak leads them down, and this was tremendous. 17 play, 69 yard drive. They were fourth and two in the Miami 42. He threw it to CeeDee Lamb. Great pass. Yes, it was. Great play by Lamb. First and 10 on the Miami with 626 left. So let's just play this out. It's 626 left. They're down. So what if they do and they go, they score. They score in like, you know, 30 seconds. So there's six minutes left. Say Miami goes down and kicks that field goal. That would still give them time. But because Miami just kept bottling them up from scoring that touchdown, we knew they needed to score a touchdown there, that it, that then they gave with the Dolphins time with like three and a half to go, which Dolphins could have ran the clock out. So that's where the defense really came up. By making them, like, it's almost like playing the string out by making them work hard on this. That was where, and then you had it. It was fourth down and goal. It was first and goal on the seventh. They had two completions in a run and they had fourth and goal on the four and that's where there were two pass interference penalties there was an issue what it was pass interference and finally they threw to cooks in the back end zone i have a great if you go on my instagram i had that pass i'm sitting right in that mm-hmm. direction amazing uh, pass by yeah, great play great play by prescott great catch by cooks they take 2019 lead but there was 327 left think if there was 530 left not 327 left. So mm-hmm. that gave the, the Miami comes back. They just need a field goal. That's all they need, and they win the game. But they also want to run the clock out. Everything they wanted came down. Miami gets the ball back. It helped that they get um, on the first play a face mask by the Cowboys, and then they go with a 21 play. But then they made it was third on three on the Dallas 33, two minute warning, two at a hill. That converted that third down. Instead of kicking a field goal and giving Dallas, again, you know, two minutes left, they get the first down, two at a hill for 10 yards in essence, and then third and two in the Dallas 15. 
Wilson up the middle for six yards. They're able to get those, to convert those two third downs, made Dallas blow the third, you know, their their timeouts, and ended up uh, kicking the you know his fifth field goal for the game. So that was pretty amazing. Iron Sports, Drew Oldies Channel, uh, Mike Balsamo. No, it, it was a great game. It's one that uh, we'll remember, and one that kind of changes the trajectory of the AFC a little bit because now there's you know more pressure on the Ravens. Just a massive game, kind of sets the Cowboys back a little bit. I know uh, obviously Eagles fans are excited about this and they're you know they're they have a very easy schedule going forward the Eagles do. So it kind of puts them in the driver's seat to win that division. Just kind of everything we needed to happen on a Sunday. Yeah, and I think the, one of the keys takeaway of the game was I was really impressed with Tyreek Hill again. I think if Tyreek Hill, I think if McCaffrey doesn't win the MVP, I think how the way Tyreek Hill played this game with Waddle being injured, it seemed like Waddle was in and out of the game. He was in, out, in and out. Most start was hurt. But Tyreek Hill played great. Not only is he great with his, the passes, but those, those third down conversions that he made, the excellent routes, he's uncoverable. Like, he runs and cuts, and he's so good. And I, that's why if they want to give it, you know, if he, I, I would not be, I mean, I think he could just be the MVP. He was tremendous in this game and helped win them. And I was impressed with Dak, how Dak played. I mean, their stats were amazing. Two was 293, one touchdown, only gave one sack. Dak was, uh, had uh, two touchdowns, had 230 yards and, and two touchdowns. Um, but I think, you know, both teams ran for 97 yards, Miami 91 yards. Miami did not get, Mostert and Chain did not get those big long runs that we're used to, but they got the key first downs that they needed to, sometimes especially at the end. So I think, and again, our tie, both tight ends played great. But it was one of those things where, and they limited Micah Parsons. Parsons, and when we go in, Micah Parsons, everyone says defense player of the year. It's like he has one good or two good plays, but it's not like I watched TJ Watt the game before. TJ Watt's making play after play after play. It's just Micah, to me, is not as great as people. I think he's a great player. I think he's one of the best players in the NFL. I don't think he's at the level when they compare to Lawrence Taylor. I think it's ludicrous to make those comments. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And when you watch him, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm have my camera on him, it's like he doesn't get pressure. Like, he, he needs, if, if you forget about him, he's going to make the big play. He's fast and all those things. But he doesn't. TJ Watt, every single play, is always pushing the, the offensive lineman back up in the quarterback, moving the, the quarterback to go outside the pocket. Parsons sometimes does not get that pressure. He, if he doesn't get that, quick burst in and break through it. He, he doesn't seem to get it sometimes. Yes, he makes those highlight with you know highlight plays, but it's only a couple a game. Whereas I think TJ Watt, it's like maybe thirty plays a game where he has a difference on that play. So let's move on to the other game that you were at uh, this past weekend, Cincinnati in Pittsburgh. And this is one you you obviously wouldn't have heard this, but they announcers said on TV because they're chanting Mason Rudolph, and they're showing Kenny Pickett looking all dejected. But the announcer said. Did any Steeler fan week one anticipate that there'd be a Mason Rudolph chant going off in his stadium later in the season? I don't think so. Well, I mean, the whole Rudolph analogy is just absolutely amazing. I mean, the fact that they played Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer like the whole time at the second half and mm. the fact that it's like, you know, they Mason was the backup quarterback for two years and then and the comment is like, you did not let, you know, Rudolph wasn't allowed to play any reindeer, great reindeer, <laughs> wasn't allowed to play in any of the games. Yeah. So he didn't play any games, but then in one cold winter night, you know, they, you know, Santa needed Rudolph to lead them to the, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to turn to Mason Rudolph. And of course, why they, they needed him was that Pickett was hurt with an ankle injury and Treblitzky's had two bad starts. Uh, Rudolph, People forget he's this is he's the third longest tenured Steeler. He was drafted in uh, 2018 at Oklahoma State. Look in college, he was he was in a third round draft choice. So people thought he was going to be the Ben heir apparent. Uh, he had 24 touchdowns, four interceptions at college, one year, then 35 and nine. Uh, he competed with Landry Jones, Josh Dobbs for the backup. Was the backup of 2018. 2019 was the problem. Remember what happened this year? This is I was I saw like almost every Steeler game of the year. Ben got hurt in the second week in Seattle. He hurt his arm, so he's out in 2019. So he came in. Mason came in, lost the 49ers. He beat the Bengals for his first win, but then he got a concussion against the Ravens, which I think affected him the whole year. And Duck Hodges came in, so they have this yeah. whole thing with Duck Hodges and Duck calls and everything like that. So Duck comes in, then he gets pulled, and they bring him back for the Cleveland game. And this is where I think it all went south for Mason Rudolph. That Miles Garrett game when Miles Garrett took Mason Rudolph's helmet off his head and pounded him with the helmet. <laughs> and then the, the, and Garrett gets suspended for the rest of the year. The whole thing was bad. And he's make, there was it was just a mess that whole game. I was at the game. It was cold. And it was just a mess. And I think there was some comments about, did Rudolph say something? And then the Steelers like, no, he said nothing. Garrett just took his helmet and started beating him with the helmet. So it was like, it was a mess. And I think it really affected him the rest of the season. Against Next game against the Bengals, he was awful. He was pulled for Duck Hodges. And then he, was, then he came back and replaced Duck Hodges. But then he hurt his shoulder. Older, but he started eight out of ten games, 13 touchdowns, nine interceptions. Next year, Ben's the starter. 
He didn't play. 2021, Ben's the starter. He played one game against the Jets. Actually, the game ended in a tie during the COVID against the Jets. And then in 2022, they draft Pickett. He's behind Treblitsky. They signed him. So he's third string. So really, his one chance was 2019. You think about all these quarterbacks that get chance after chance after chance. His only really good chance was 2019. It got messed up because Miles Garrett took his helmet and started beating him with his own helmet. That was crazy. So, but this is this game was crazy. Bengals had no Burrow. No, they are Jake Browning. They had no Jamar Chase. Their defense is banged up. The Steeler defense, Kazee was was out. He's been suspended for the rest of the year for the ha- that's the hit on Pittman. Minka Fitzpatrick was out. They started Eric Rowe and Miles Killebro at safeties, which were like fifth stringers. Their linebackers, they had Miles Jack. You talk about Joe Flacco on his couch. Miles Jack was like doing construction projects or something. <laughs> like He's back. He's at linebacker. He was retired. He officially retired from the NFL, and he's there. And it just shows you when the Steelers, they have J.J. Watt, Highsmith, Cam Hayward, Patrick Peterson. They did fantastic and were able to, to hang in there. And one of my friends was texting me, why are you at a game for two mediocre teams? I'm like, mediocre teams? Like half the league is eight and seven or seven and eight. Like that's the whole league. And the way the AFC is, do you think that the, you know, anybody can win? Like there's no San Francisco 49ers in the mm-hmm. AFC. So I didn't really think, like I felt that was a bad criticism. Like why well, I'm at a game for mediocre teams. It, well, maybe because of the matchup on paper, you know, between backups and third stringers. That might have been uh, what he was referring to maybe a little bit. But, you know, it was... You know, and then the whole uh, George Pickens criticism, because George Pickens last week, there was a pic- video of him against the Colts where the Colts where Jalen Warren was running the ball and Pickens just stood there while Warren was running the ball and didn't block. And they asked him, they go, why don't you block? And instead of saying, well, I, I did want to get, the, the smart thing would have been said, I didn't want to commit a penalty because if he tried to block, he could have got a clipping on it because mm. it looked like it was hard for him to block. He's like, I didn't want to clip on the play. I thought Warren was going to score. And they said, he goes, no, I didn't want to get hurt. Yeah. I didn't want to injure it, injured. Then they asked Jalen Warren, they go, what do you think about George saying he didn't want to block for you? Heard. He goes, well, I would. I understand it. I'm good friends with him, but I would have blocked for him. Like, you have all that with Pickens, and they ask Tomlin about it. And he goes, and Pickens goes, it's only the media making a big thing. And they interview Tomlin. He goes, it's not the media. It's me. You're not supposed to block. So that became an issue. And then you have DeAndre Johnson from the week before with the Bengals. Like, this was a mess with all that. Then the, all the criticism of Tomlin. This is the other thing I'm saying is about Dak Prescott. Tomlin's not going anywhere. He's not getting fired. It, it, it's ridiculous. It is noise. I, the Pittsburgh people talk about it. Mike Tomlin is not getting fired from the Steelers this year, next year, the year after. Just stop it. Like, it's worth he's, he's He is a Steeler coach. Like, he's going to be the Steeler coach. Like, live with it, Steeler fans. Like, he is the coach. Like, I'm going to try to tell yeah, him. Zero chance he gets fired, especially from that organization that doesn't like to fire people ever. As I said, he's the third coach in my lifetime, and I'm old. I mean, there's only been Noel, Cower, and Tomlin. That's all I've seen my entire life. So, but, um, but you know, so and the Steelers were 6-3. and three. They went 1-4. and four. They had lost to the Pats, Cards, and Colts. So this was, this is a must-win game. They lose this game, depending on, you know, they were going to be eliminated from the playoffs and uh it was it was warm you know it was like 45 to 50 pittsburgh temperatures you know and you talk about Kenny pickett i swear he's walking around like i get there super early and he's walking around in this puffy jacket like it's not even like the sealer jacket and he has like this hat knit hat on he looks so dejected yeah he didn't want to be there he was just so sad and uh but it was it was weird they had an opera singer who sang the national anthem for the game who was absolutely Tremendous, one of the best uh, the national anthems. But when they and when they're done with the national anthem, the Steelers always have these fireworks. They have flyovers. They had nothing. They had no flyovers. No nothing. It's like the Steelers, like we're kind of scaling back for this game. We're not having any flyovers. And we're not having any fireworks or whatever. So that was from the atmosphere. That was what I was talking about. You want to talk about the game itself because this was a weird one. I got to the TV a little bit late. And I'm getting ready to watch. I pull up my phone, and it's 14 nothing. Like, minutes into the game. Like, how did how the Steelers get this lead out of nowhere? Well, it was the second play of the Steelers. The Bengals' drive got stopped. They punted. Pittsburgh had it at the 8-yard line. Mason Rudolph walks in, and the fans, there was no enthusiasm. I'm telling you, there's people around me. No one was around me. I, I've never, I paid, sat on the 50-yard line, perfect seat, and paid like $100 for, like it was, it was, you could have gotten in the game for 10 bucks, like maybe paid to someone mm. to go. Like there was no, <laughs> there was no enthusiasm. Everyone was out shopping around. Nobody was even paying attention to this. Mason Rudolph comes in the game. No one's expecting him to do anything. And then Najee runs for six yards, and then Pickens does this slant. And the one thing about Rudolph is, and I saw him in the Bengals game in 2019 when he was playing, or 2018, I was on the field for that. And he's as big as Ben is, and he throws so hard. He is, his arm strength is unbelievable. He zipped that ball. I watched that on replay. It was a rocket. It was just like a five-yard pass, but Pickens caught it, and then he just starts running and running, and all the Bengals are trying to tackle him. They couldn't tackle him, and he runs in, and it was 86 yards. It was the, it was the second, second or third third large, longest run in the history of the Steelers. I think it was third largest, longest pass play in the history of the Steelers, which is pretty amazing. And that mm-hmm. was like, wow, people are going crazy. The Bengals drove down to the 16, 
And that's when Browning throws this interception. He's like throwing the ball away. It's like he ran out of bounds. He's like, just throw it up. And, it, and Peterson intercepted. It was such a bad pass. And then the Steelers drove down. Rudolph was tremendous. End around for Austin for a touchdown. Fans are going nuts. That's that 14 nothing. Both team punts. And then Bengals, Browning makes another interception. And the Steelers return to the 14. Rudolph scrambled for seven yards. People love that scramble. He scrambled, got hit, you know, pushed off that, you know, was fighting everything. Then they scored another. Najee ran in for another touchdown. Made it 21 nothing. Bengals were stopped on fourth down, and maybe it was 24 at halftime. And it's like, what did we just see? I mean, this is a Steeler offense that could do nothing all yeah. year, and now it's 24 nothing. And the second half, it's funny, Brown, uh, Browning threw to Higgins on the same type of that crossing little pass for 80 yards. Like, whatever that comes, you're like, well, maybe they'll come back. Steelers going to blow a lead. It's 24-8. But then Rudolph throws to Pickens, this 64-yard pass that for another touchdown to make it 31-8. He also had another great catch on the sideline. But, I mean, Pickens had only four catches for the game, but they were for 195 yards. I mean, four catches for 195 yards. Two touchdowns. And Rudolph had almost 300 yards on two touchdowns. And Highsmith had interception at the end for the victory. But it was it was just a humongous win for the Steelers. And a lot of people are asking me, they go, well, is, is Rudolph the answer? And I go, I don't know if Rudolph's the answer, but I think it made to my, in my mind that Pickett, Kenny Pickett is not the answer in this game. Because you're seeing what the Steelers offense could do and what they could not do under Pickett and Treblitzky. And you're thinking... I don't know if Rudolph is the answer, but Pickett's not the answer. He misses those passes. I've seen the Steelers every game. You can't you can't be off and miss, and that's what he does. And Rudolph was not off. Rudolph just made the play that was there and made some really good passes. And and I thought it just showed where I don't think Kenny Pickett's the answer. Let's go back to uh, Thursday night, and this was a very important game as far as the playoffs go, especially with, as far as the NFC because. We really don't, you know, it, a couple of teams jockeying for these last playoff spots. One loss here, and your season could, could be pretty much over. Rams going into this game, I, I like the way they're playing. And they won the game 30-22, to 22, but it really wasn't that close if you watched no. it. It seemed like the Rams were just, you know, they had their, their foot on the gas all night. And Saints made it respectable at the end, but it, it's still a great win for the Rams. It was just a weird ending of the game. I mean, I was keeping my eye, like I was at a restaurant in Fort Lauderdale watching it. So it was, the score was 30-7. to 7. I mean, it was Stafford in the last five games, his 14 touchdowns, one interception. Um, first of all, the key, neat thing about this game is Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr were both healthy and playing. Where rarely are you seeing first team quarterbacks, you know, yes, play, you know playing each other. Um, and but the Rams have now won five and six games when they were three and six. But Kyron Williams ran the ball well. Puka Nakua nine catches, 164 yards. Cooper Cup had an okay game, six for 52. But it was yeah, it was 30 to seven, 12 months to go. The Saints score a touchdown, make it 30 to 14. The Rams punt, and the Saints go back and make a, a two a, a, a touchdown and made a two point play to make it 30 to 22 with four months to go. Like they literally wow, like where did that happen yeah, one from? Score away. And then the Rams. Were able to run the clock out but that was where I was at the I had my laptop out at the restaurant and then everyone in the restaurant you could sort of see on some of the outside TVs but they started gathering around my table like to see the end like what's going to happen <laughs> if they're going to hold on to win but uh, they, from the Rams perspective boy they're on a roll I mean they're they're not going to beat the 49ers but they are when you look how the Rams are playing you look how the Eagles are playing and the Cowboys are playing you might think the Rams are up at that level right now it's they this was a really impressive their last they, they again they started three and six they won five of the last six and they've looked great yesterday yeah and as of now all the the six seed so huge win gets them into the playoff picture buffalo and the chargers and this is going to be one where buffalo is kind of riding high right now and it's almost like is this going to be a little bit of a letdown spot is if it was versus justin herbert perhaps we weren't going to see it against easton stick well this was a weird game you know bills were favored by 12 and a half points they won 24 22 um the game was funny the thursday night was the rams game and saturday and uh, friday was the buffalo target game. It was the next, or saturday was the next game so it was where you know two days after at the same stadium but uh giff smith replaced a brandon staley as the coach of the chargers the fact that this game was on Peacock and nobody has Peacock and that made everyone confused. Like, I can't watch the game. Is it on? What happened? Is it blacked out? I'm turning NBC on. I don't see it. Those type of things. But the uh, Bills went down 10 nothing, and then all my friends are texting me. Josh Allen's overrated. He's terrible. This, that, all that other stuff. And then the Buffalo came up. They were 21-19 with seven to go. James Cook fumbles the ball. Well, I mean, he just fumbled the ball. Like, with, you know, when they were, like, in control of the entire game. Chargers kick a field goal and make it 22-21. The Bills drove down and they were lucky. Shakir scored a touchdown, but they ruled him down, but that allowed them to do what the Dolphins did, which is run the clock out and kick the field goal to win the game. 
But uh, Gabe Davis, huge game, four catches, 130 yards. Josh Allen, 237, one touchdown, one interception. But what I really, you know, again, this is now the Bills are on a roll. They've won four to five. They have Josh Allen as a quarterback. They're dangerous. They're in the AFC. Like, that's, I mean, I like the Bills. Like, I mean, I have a lot of friends that do think the Bills could go to the, I mean, when you look, people say the, the Steelers are mediocre. Well, if they're mediocre, like, who is, is it the Ravens? Is it the, you see the Ravens struggle sometimes? Mm. Is it the Dolphins? Like, who is not, like, you know. Yeah, the Chiefs don't look great at times. The Chiefs, like, again, and it's not, the AFC is for anybody to win. Anybody can win. You know, it's not like you have to win the best out of four out of seven. You just have to win one game. Um, going on to Indy and Atlanta, and this was a weird one. A lot of like sharp money, you know, as they call it, it was on Indy. Like Atlanta's terrible; they're not going to be able to do anything. Atlanta gets a big win. Uh, you know, this is Atlanta. Atlanta had lost to Carolina the week before, and they benched Desmond Ritter, who this is just a disaster. Ritter was supposed to. We had Justin Felder on at the beginning of the season when they was like everything was going great, but look, they finally said, "Let's get Bijan Robinson involved." He is their rookie running back from Texas, this big superstar. Twelve carries, seventy yards, seven catches, fifty yards. They got Kyle Pitts catching a touchdown, catching balls. It's like get use your weapons, you start using them, and that's what Taylor Heineke did. They were able to beat Indy and uh, and Arthur. Smith, the coach of the, the Falcons, he shaved his mustache. He wasn't given any quota of confidence. But Indy was hurt because Pittman was out of that game. They really needed him from the, the Steeler game or the Steeler injury. But uh, they're 8-7 and seven, and Atlanta 7-8. But that kept Atlanta still alive in the playoff hunt because, really, I said, in that division, five hundred, you know, eight, you know, they're going to be 9-8. and eight. It's going to probably get you winning the division. So going to Seattle and Tennessee. And this one was a little bit weird. Ryan Tannehill back under center. Will Levis is injured. And you don't really know what to expect. Like, is Tannehill going to prove everyone wrong, you know, that, that he should be the starter? Kind of crazy narratives. But this is a game that looked like Tennessee was going to win for a long time until Seattle came storming back at the end. Yeah, Tennessee scored to make it 17-13 with three minutes left. And then uh, Geno Smith. So we saw last week Drew Locke come in for Geno, who was injured. And Drew Locke played great to win against Philadelphia. They bring Geno back for this game. He played well in this game, threw for 227 yards and two touchdowns. But, boy, now Seattle has these two good wins back-to-back. They're battling. They're trying to make it. Now, next week, that's setting up Seattle-Pittsburgh at Seattle. Like, this is going to, for both teams, this is like like one of these must-win type games. So you're really, for a lot of these teams, the playoffs have started now. Like, you know, we are in yep. playoff mode because if you are if you lose, you're out. So it's like one and done at this, at this moment. Detroit was taking on Minnesota, and this was a win for Detroit, but more importantly, first division title in basically like my life, it seems like. Well, they 30 were, years. They 30 were years. celebrating in the locker room like they just won the Super Bowl. But good for them. Congratulations to the Lions. Wow, you know this this game was crazy. I, I I did of course I didn't watch the games at the at a game, but I I didn't understand you know when you look at the statistics that Minnesota only ran the ball eleven times for seventeen yards. They just gave up on the running game. Detroit uh, Amon St. Brown, Brown, if anyone's seen him play, is just amazing. Had twelve catches, one hundred six yards. Um, this was between him and Justin Jefferson, who is back. Who is actually now Justin Jefferson from Minnesota is the leader in the history of the NFL for the first four years of, of playing, having the most yards. He passed Michael Thomas. But a big win. Jared Goff, you know, great game for him, too. We're both of us. We're not sold on Detroit. We've seen them have those terrible losses. But uh, they, are, they are now positioned. They might get the second seed. Like, I thought this was going to be impossible. But if Dallas and Philadelphia keep having these problems, who knows what could happen. But, um, but that was huge for Detroit. And Dan Campbell comes in there, and everyone's, like, criticizing him from his press conference where he says we're going to hit kneecaps. And he's really— <laughs> You talk about turning a franchise around. They were the worst of the worst. They were terrible. They were could not win a football game. And now he is really. This is one of the. This is one of the best turnarounds that I can remember from any team. Uh, speaking of worst of the worst, Carolina taking on Green Bay. Green Bay gets the win, but there's no style points awarded in this game. You can't let you can't have close games with Carolina. And this was a game that, that they had to win, and they, they got it done. But still, like I'm not really comfortable with this winning 33 to 30. Yeah, Packers were ahead 30 22. Green Bay scored it, made it. Uh, uh, Carolina scored it, made it 30 30. And then Green Bay came down. Uh, Jordan Love had a nice drive at the end. He's very good on these fourth quarter, like these last drives and stuff like that. But um, 209, two touchdowns. I think you'd be concerned if you're Green Bay that you gave up 30 points to Carolina that's been struggling all year. Bryce Young had one of his better games since, you know, playing really well, 300 yards and two touchdowns. But uh, it was like, it was, it was, and he almost, you know, at the end of the game, I saw the end of that, that the end of the game, Bryce Young had a chance. Like they threw, they had it back with like 19 seconds. He threw like a 20-yard pass, another 20-yard pass. And they, if, if they would have been able to down it with like a second, they would have had a chance for a field goal to send it in overtime. But no, Green Bay is hanging in there. <laughs> Hanging in there, but it was certainly their defense has got to be better than give up 30 points. Jacksonville's playing Tampa, and this was one Ira where 
Had to put an Amber alert out for Trevor Lawrence. I mean, where was this guy for the first three quarters? I mean, 30 to nothing we were looking at. Well, then he no, got hurt. Then yeah, he got yeah. Hurt. but nobody anticipated <laughs> this. You know, the Jaguars, like, what was it, five weeks ago? People were like, oh, watch out, sneaky Super Bowl team. Now it's like the Jaguars can't do anything right. Well, you've been against Jacksonville for a while. You've been, uh, you, you, you're, you've been, and you're, you're proven correct. Tampa's <laughs> now won four straight games. Baker Mayfield has been tremendous. I think... This game, I was debating whether to go to this game rather than the Dolphin game. And, and because I'm like, you know, I knew how expensive this Dolphin game is going to be, but I'm like, this is too big a game not to go mm-hmm. to. But I thought this would be a close game. But it, 30 to nothing. I mean, Everyone I, thought Jacksonville was going to win. I mean, a close it, game. It was, uh, again, Jacksonville has the same problem. Minnesota has only 13 carries for 37 yards. Um, Baker Mayfield is just getting better and better and better. And Mike Evans... Mike Evans is state. You know, some players like Mike Evans is state healthy. Everyone's getting hurt in the league, but Mike Evans, who seems to get hurt all the time, stays. Mm-hmm. You know, he's played well. Seven catches, eighty-six yards, two touchdowns. Now he is. Uh, you know, he's he's just been amazing. Godwin had a good game, but I, this is bad. Trevor was awful. Two interceptions, three sacks, got hurt. Um, I know he's playing injured, but boy, this no one ever saw this coming with the Jacksonville season. And Doug Peterson's better turn it around now in the final two games. So the next game up, Arizona and Chicago, and this was one I mentioned sharp money before. There's a lot of people like this is this is the Bears spot, you know. People wanted you to get your money in on the Bears, and I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> Kyler Murray's playing pretty good. I know I don't love the fa- I mean, I don't love the Cardinals, but I thought that they'd beat the the Bears, and I was wrong here. Bears look pretty good in this one. I'll tell you what, you know, I, the comment about Justin Fields is this: Justin Fields, when he runs for like 75, 80 yards, he'll win, and 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 that's what he needs to do is run, and that's why I think Justin Fields to Atlanta makes so perfect sense. It seems like if if Arthur Smith stands, stays at a coach, I can't think of a of a trade or a player. Fields to me in a, the Falcons with their offense with Bijan Robinson, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, I think is perfect because he looked good in this game. I mean, certainly he's not going to come back for the Bears. The Bears are going to go; they're going to draft a, a quarterback, but um, but I feel like he would be the perfect fit. But that was this was a it was a nice one. I mean, if you're Arizona, you sort of want to keep losing too. So, but but they, I think they're set on Kyler Murray as a quarterback. But they don't uh, have many options either. They're paying but, him a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's. But I think I think from perspective of Justin Fields, I'm looking. I, I said I want to talk about this game because I really think Fields going to Atlanta could make Atlanta so much talent that they just need a quarterback. And Taylor Haneke and uh, Desmond Ritter have not done that. I think if Fields goes there and you see the Falcons next year go ten and seven or something, like they're like, wow, that made a big difference. So Browns taking on the Texans. We've seen the Texans without C.J. Stroud. It's not very good. Um, the real story of this game, though, to me, though, is not only Joe Flacco you know, coming from his mom's couch or whatever it was, but Amari Cooper being the fantasy uh, fantasy season winner for you or maybe the guy who just, just crushed you because he had a monster game. Yeah, I mean, Flacco now, he's beat Jackson, so... He lost 36-19 to the Rams. Then he beat Jacksonville through 311 yards. Then he beat Chicago through 374 yards. And Houston now 368 yards. This is unbelievable. You know, there he's on their fourth quarterback. And you're like, where was this with Deshaun Watson? Weren't they able to do something? And then Amari Cooper, 265 yards and two touchdowns. And people have been waiting. It's like, why can't Deshaun Watson? Why haven't we been able to unleash Amari Cooper? And that's what we talked about. What if Amari Cooper stayed on the Cowboys? And would that have been great to be there? So the point is, but Amari Cooper had this, the, you know, the Browns record for a game. But they're finally... You know, we, we thought about Cleveland, just the running team. Flacco was able to use and think if they got, you know, it's just Nick Chubb back next year and he's healthy, can recover, and you have the running game and the passing game. But wait, you're going to have Deshaun Watson, the quarterback, but Joe Flacco looks like he's doing a better job than Deshaun Watson. You're not, you're certainly not going to start Joe Flacco over Deshaun Watson, but the fact is, is wow, this is amazing that he's come on. And you're questioning the Jets, who he was on the he team. Was on the Jets last for, year. And the Jets let him go, and if he would have brought in, could he have saved the season for the Jets? And, and that's, so my Jeff fans, oh no, he was terrible for us, he was awful. But this has been, this is a, you know, again, he was for 10 years, he was at the Ravens QB, took him to the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl with them, and they sort of discard him for Lamar Jackson, which of course is a smart move. Lamar Jackson's been phenomenal, wins the MVP. But the fact that Flacco still is grinding and stays in there, stays ready, and, and now has these three big wins, pretty impressive. So I got to admit it, Ira, Denver kind of pulled the wool over my eyes. I, I watched... The, the run that Denver went on, and I'm like, all right, I'm starting to buy into Deshaun no, Payne. I'm starting to buy that. into don't Russell Wilson. That. You can't lose to New England. And it, they, they dropped this one to the Patriots. Bailey Zappi looked pretty serviceable. This is supposed to be a good Denver defense. Just a weird game, but if you're Sean Payton and the Broncos, you cannot be losing to teams like the Patriots. No, you can't, and it, and it probably knocked them out of their playoffs. They're seven and eight now, and I think a lot of people got on the Denver bandwagon. Like you know, it seemed like it, but boy, this was a bad game. They were a seven and a half point favorite at home, and uh, now Belichick has improved to eleven against the Broncos. So now in his twenty-four ten, ten, uh, tenure, he has uh, he has a winning record against every team. So the, if the Broncos would have won the game, it would have been the one team we had a losing record against. But uh, 
I, I'm going to say, well, we have a, a minute or two. The uh, I don't think Belichick. I think I'm going to be one person who says I think Belichick's back. I do. I think he's back. I'm I'm undecided on this, and I think that they're going to let him make a lot of the decision. It's you know it's not going to be like people are saying they're going to fire him midseason. There's no chance that that happens. But I think they have a conversation in the offseason like. Bill, what are you thinking here, man? Like, do you want to part ways? Do, do you have any ideas for the future? I, I don't. I can't see Kraft giving up on him. If, if Bill wants to stay, I think he's going to stay. But does Bill want to stay? Does he want to go to the Chargers and have Justin Herbert? I, I don't know, but it's a, a, an interesting offseason for the Patriots. I think Belichick has, a, has built this entire operation. He has everyone around. I think unless you're going to turn everything over to him, he's not going to go. He's been used to running the show for so long. He's not going to go somewhere and just be the coach. That's not going to happen. But I think if you're Kraft, I think you keep him. I think he's been the architect. You have all these trophies. You have all everything. You, I think the only thing that Belichick did, the biggest mistake he made, was getting rid of Brady. And we're seeing with Tampa. And this is what I've said, is that Brady instilled such a culture in that organization that even after he's left, it's still there. That culture, those players are mm -hmm. still there. I think Brady was so much to do with the Patriots as much as Belichick, and not from a playing perspective, but just a culture perspective. And I cannot believe that Belichick, now I know it was COVID and all those weird things. I think Belichick should have said, Tom, I don't care about COVID, let's wear a mask, let's go, go to Beathcraft, let's work our things out. You got to stay here. I want you to be my quarterback. I want you to figure this out. Let's work and build this together. And I think that his inability to do that has also hurt him with credibility because people in the Patriots Patriots fans, they are so mad that they, he he's being viewed as, uh, rightly so, as pushing Brady out. And they're like, you push Brady out. We'd rather have Brady than you. Like, we'd rather you left and kept Brady and mm. then that way around. And I think that's hurting, that hurts him with some of the media and hurts him with the fans. But I think at the end of the day, I think Belichick stays and I think he's back. Uh, where do we stand here uh, as the season's uh, getting down to the nitty gritty? 13 of the 32 teams have 8 and 7 or 7 and 8 records. Uh, Miami is 11 4, Bills 9 and 6. Baltimore is 11 and 3. Jacksonville, 8 and 7, 8 and 7. Then Kansas City has their division sort of almost wrapped up. So you have Baltimore, Miami, and Kansas City winning their division, it looks like. The wild card, Cleveland, with one more win, is going to get that wild card. Buffalo at 9 and 6, looks like they're going to get one. And then you have everyone else, Indy, Houston, Pittsburgh, and Cincinnati, all at 8 and 7. It's hard to predict anything. You're going to go through so many different tiebreakers. But Pittsburgh, in my mind, still has a chance. Like, I still think they have a chance to get in the playoffs. And again, people say, oh, who cares if they get in? Any, as you can see, these aren't teams, they're not playing the 49ers in the first game. Like, they can upset anybody. Anything can happen. These teams are so close to each other that that's why I just want just get in the playoffs and they get something can happen. And in the NFC, Philly, this was a bad, you know, Philly and Dallas are 10 and 5. The Niners, if they win tonight, they would actually, you know, they would win. They would clinch first mm -hmm. for a seed because they'd be at 12 and 3 and they would have two wins over that. The Rams the Rams in Seattle look like they're, you know, they're, they're positioned for the wild card. If they keep, if they can win one of the two games and the Minnesota, Atlanta, Green Bay, New Orleans are all 7 and 8. But uh, but you have teams like, I, we always talk about this at the beginning of the year when teams are playing poorly. Like, you can get hot at the end. You got to just got to catch yourself in a position, be playing around 500 ball and then get hot and then you can make the playoffs now you don't even have to be at 500 you can be like four and six and whatever five and seven just get hot and win what's coming up next um this week you know there's this tonight is the last Monday night football game because next week there's no Monday night football game there's a thursday night game which will be the last game the jets at the browns but of course the big games are the dolphins at the ravens i think that's huge seattle i mean the steelers at seahawks uh that's gonna be huge but really you know you look at if you look at almost every single game in the slate there's a team playing that's in contention there's not any of the Washington Jets games where both teams are out of contention. So let's move over to uh, college football. A lot of bowls going on. We had the Boca Raton Bowl. Uh, Syracuse didn't really bother to show up in this one. Uh, got blown out. But FSU is really uh, capitalizing the headlines right now. And it's probably for a good reason. They're wanting out of the ACC. Well, they made a decision. They had a board meeting. And, and in 2016, it's, it's, it's very simple. It's not like legalistic. It's like you decide to come in a group and now you're in this group and you want to be out and you're like, no, well, there's, there's a payment fee and they don't want to pay it. And the payment fee is high. The payment fee is that they have to give their media rights till 2036 to whoever to keep the ACC. So if they played in the Big Ten, whatever money that they would get would have to go to the ACC. So they would lose their media rights for that. They'd also have to pay an exit fee. So it comes to between 500, 600 million dollars. They don't have that money. You're like, well, why they would do that because they in 2016 they wanted to keep everything together they were part of that group that says we're going to keep it together but then they saw the sec and the big 10 it's all about those two conferences making more money they want more money now they're like well why doesn't the sec or big 10 give florida state money to come in they want them in they'll take both of them but they're not willing to give them hundreds of millions so mm -hmm. they're in a position right now where like if there was notre dame 
there would be payments to Notre Dame to try to get it. But Florida State is a is a brand. They're a mark, everything. But they're not willing, both SEC and Big Ten, it's like, you want to come to us? We'll love to have you. But we're not going to move. They didn't move heaven and earth to get Texas, Oklahoma. They made it them wait like two or three years. So they want out. And the question is, they're going to say, well, we're going to sue the ACC to get out of this media rights deal. But it's it, they're, they're going to have to pay the penalty. They agreed to this. This is what they said they agreed to. So the other option they've tried to is use like Clemson and Virginia. They're like, let's dissolve the conference. But there's enough teams in the conference that don't want to get it dissolved. So they really are boxed in with the rules that they agreed to. Like they can't dissolve the conference. They can't rip up the deal. And what are they going to do? Say, we're not going to play football? Like what is, Florida State really is, doesn't have options to say, where they can't just like hold out. They're not going to say, <laughs> Next year, we're not going to have a football team. Like, they are caught in a bind, and, and, and it is a problem. But I just don't see how they can yell and scream. But if you're ACC, you cannot let Florida State out. Like, there's no amount of money that will. So I think they're stuck. I mean, I think they can sue. They can yell. They can scream. And I think what – I'll tell you, say this. One of the reasons they didn't make the college football playoff is that the ACC, they, you know, the other, they see how Florida State didn't want to be there anyway. They didn't go bed to bat for Florida State so much. You didn't hear this, you know, like the SEC teams. If this was, if Alabama didn't get in, everybody from, you know, would have gone, the SEC would have gone crazy, mm. nuts. Like every single school, it had been inundated. But I think the fact is you didn't see the ACC, Miami Hurricane fans were screaming, I can't believe Florida State's not in. Like everyone knows Florida State wants out of the league, so they're not going to go scream and yell when you don't get in the playoff. Uh, the biggest news besides Shohei Otani signing was going to be a guy who nobody really knew who he was just a few years ago. His name is Yoshi. Yamamoto. I don't think people still know who. He yeah, is probably right not. He'd be walking next to you in the mall right now. You'd have no idea. <laughs> With Dustin Johnson at yeah. Costco. <laughs> um, so Yamamoto, the next, he's won three straight Cy Youngs. He's twenty five years old. Yeah, three straight Cy Youngs in Japan. Twenty five years old gets a massive contract. He's joining Shohei on the Dodgers, and this is. It's going to be wild to see these next this, this decade with these guys uh, playing together. Well, he's the highest contract in the history for pitchers, so it tops that. He's Just never, past Garrett Cole. Yeah. And Garrett Cole, so he's never pitched a game in the league. But I think the only thing is, I, I might do poor on my cultural bowl picks, but I've been totally right on Otani. I thought there was, a, and I, I was totally, once Otani signed with the Dodgers, you knew he, Yamamoto looks up to Otani. He is like his, he just loves Otani. I mean, he's someone he looks up to. And I just think it made perfect sense for him to go to the Dodgers because for the media rights and everything they can do, and also when they can now they can pull between Otani and Yamu together. Like sort of the Mets pitching, Yankees pitch towards, well, do you want to live in the shadow of Otani? Yes, he does want to be with us. He wants to be part of with Otani. Like that was not a negative at all. And the fact that he wanted to stay on the West Coast, Seattle was not going to be an option. The Angels were going to be an option. Like the Padres are an option. This is perfect. And the Dodgers, when you, and I, we kept talking about this, when they lost Seager and they lost Turner and they didn't sign any big free agents and Bauer's contract was short, I'm telling you, they were like, this is what they were hoping for all along. I mean, the Dodgers literally, this was their goal. And they got who they wanted with Otani and Yamuta, Moto and uh, and you know, Tyler Glass now. That's a pitcher. They have Betts and they Freeman. Lux is going to remember Lux, who they were counting on big, is going to be back next year. They're you know they they're going to go for it. But I think one of the problems they feel in the playoffs they've had is that one of the reasons why they've lost in, in the playoffs is they don't have a starting pitcher that can go seven eight innings, pitch a huge game, pitch a shutout, those type of things. They feel they have that now, and that's why they're going to win the World Series. Anything you want to talk about in the NBA? Um, just the Christmas Day games this week. I think you know. I think what's tonight's game was supposed to be. This shows the problem with the NBA. They're really building up the Sixers versus the Heat, and it looks like Embiid's not playing and <laughs> Butler's not playing. Yeah. So like you're trying to build out a game and have the two stars that that aren't that aren't playing. And then I think if you're watching the NBA and you want to think about a team that's playing well as Minnesota, they finally have turned themselves around and they're really with Edwards, Towns, and Gobert sort of figuring it out. And that's why they're, they're leading the division. And and I think anyone who thinks that oh well they're not going to sustain for the playoffs, I, I think they're wrong. I think they're playing great. If you see uh, how 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 that team is set up with the, the size, it's so much of the league has gone to three point shooting. It's small. They've actually gone really big, and it's really hurt. You know, helped them out tremendously. What's going on in boxing? Well. It's really weird. I'm just real f- the uh, jo- Deontay Wilder and jo- Anthony Joshua are two of the top heavyweights. They've both been champions, and they had this plan where they're going to Saudi Arabia. They're going to fight people they were heavily favored on. They win these, and then they're going to fight each other. That was the whole plan in place. It didn't work because uh, even though Joshua easily won his fight against Otto Whalen, Joseph Parker upset <laughs> Deontay Wilder, and knocked him out, and that so now Wilder is not you know his career might be over at that point. So it's not going to be this great fight. And now they're having Fury fight, fights Ushik in Saudi Arabia in February 17. 
17th. And this is the big change in boxing right now. These uh, Saudi Arabia is the one who's paying for all these. So get used to the fights now, like earlier in the day, the 4.30, 5 o'clock, those type of things, because that's when they're going to be in Saudi Arabia. But that the Fury Usyk fight in February is going to be big. But that, it's so funny is that everyone's been talking about Wilder Joshua, Wilder Joshua. And now they both, you know, they both had scheduled this is going to happen. Now it's not going to happen. So I mentioned seeing a live player, you know, right here in, uh, in West Palm Beach. What's going on with Liv? Well, remember that December 31st, which is a week away, was supposed to be the deadline for Liv. And we've heard absolutely nothing. Like nothing. now it's it's been nothing. Like this is the deadline. And we've heard nothing from anything. And I guess they told Rom, don't talk anymore or whatever. So they've signed Rom. And I, this is my prediction. Nothing will happen with Liv. And I think that after the first, you're going to see more players doing BJ Tour. I know some people haven't said it, but I think you're going to see they're waiting to the first to go by. And then I think after that, you're going to see a lot of players move after. And I think um, they're unless the PJ is going to announce. I mean, you heard rumors that they have someone big that's going to, oh, they're going to get money as big as live. And someone's going to put a billion dollars in. I don't know if that's the case or not, but I, I don't think so. They'll get some money. But I really think you're going to see after the first more players go to live. And then I think you're going to see live eventually sign a TV deal. I think there's going to be a point where live has enough players that some of the networks are going to say, you know, we don't, you know, we're going to sign. Now, the problem is like the golf channel is run by PJ and those things. But they're, once they get that TV deal, I think that's going to be the big change. Anything else you want to uh, talk about before we wrap it up? You know, I was thinking, people were talking about the athlete of the year. And so I wanted to, I wrote that down. And I, I, I was debating in my mind if I would say, do I think Otani should win the athlete of the year or Djokovic, who won three out of four majors? Think of Djokovic, who would have won. But I, I think you give it to Otani for being so dominant, being the first person since Babe Ruth to be a pitcher and hitter over Mahomes, uh, uh, Jokic in basketball. You know, Verstappen in, in, in racing has been one of the greatest years ever, but other racers have done that. But Otani did something this year that no one's ever done, even better than Ruth did. And we're talking through 100 years. So I would give, I think he's won a couple of those AP Sportsman of the Year. I think I would give it to Otani. What are you up to this week? Um, well, I'm going to go out to the Rose Bowl. So that'll be the point is I think the big thing is on the first. We'll have to somehow do our show, but that's the college football playoffs where Michigan plays Alabama and then Texas plays Washington in the Sugar Bowl. But I'll be going out to the Rose Bowl in Los Angeles. So we are out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. He's Ira Mike. We'll talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.